being a litigator, you can't just say things. You have to have a lot of proof. And doing that work, uh, again, calls for a lot of attention to detail and making sure you can support what you're saying. So if I'm breaking work up with emails all day, I find that it takes my focus away. But at the same time, my clients hire me and hire my practice group because they have emergencies within their business every day and they need their lawyer on call. If you can't provide that comfort, I'm not giving value to my client. And that's not what I want to be. From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast. We interview professionals, entrepreneurs, and recent grads about what a day is actually like on the job, hour by hour, or as we like to call it, they're a diddle. Spell A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. This podcast will inspire you to gain experience beyond the classroom and launch a career of your own. We're your hosts, Chris DeBeau and Matt Poe. Welcome to part one in the two-part Laws of Labor series. In this episode, we're going to experience a day in the life, hour by hour, of Elon Weiser, a labor and employment attorney at Elinoff Grossman and Scholl LLP, so you can decide if this is a career you can see yourself doing. Elon is working on behalf of his business clients, who are employers, but that doesn't mean he's anti-employee. It means he tries to be as proactive as he can to make sure his clients are covered, and in turn, their employees are as well. Let's get right into the day. It's 6.30 on a Tuesday and Elon is waking up, hitting the snooze button, and out of bed by 7 a.m. He's up a little earlier than normal because he has to prepare for a client meeting at 10, so more on that a little bit later. But in the meantime, he gets on the subway, reads the New York Times, and arrives at the office by 8 a.m. Let's meet Elon and learn more about what he does. So my name is Elon Weiser. I am a labor and employment attorney. I've been practicing law for nine years now, and I work for a law firm called Elinoff Grossman and Scholl. We are a mid-sized law firm located in Midtown Manhattan. We are a general practice firm, so what that means is we have different practice groups. Again, I myself, I'm a labor and employment lawyer. That's all I do, practice labor and employment law. We have a real estate division. We have a corporate division. So every attorney does you know, basically practices their specialty and we're, and we're split up into different departments. My practice only involves representing management, so I'll never represent employees. I'm not the one suing a business or advising a employee on why they got fired and what they can do about it. It's the opposite. I'm consulting with the business themselves. So whether it's the CEO, whether it's the CFO, or it could be a human resources executive or a lo- lower level manager on what to do with their employees, how to manage them, how to discipline them, how to fire them what to do when you hire them, the documents you need, what to say, what not to say. So depending where business is, there are certain things you have to do when you hire someone, for example. In New York, you have your local requirements, being in New York City, for example. If you're in Long Island or if you're in New Jersey, for example, there may be different documents or different things you need to have someone fill out. Also on the federal level, that would apply to everyone. And in my area of the law, there are different protocols and different requirements for a business of a different size or in a different sector. So knowing the business, what they do, who they interact with, who their clients are, that's all really important on making sure they're complying correctly with the law. And that's my job. Another part of his job is staying on top of his deadlines and executing his work for each client accordingly. 
He does have a calendar to electronically stay organized with court dates and deadlines, but he's also a big fan of writing lists and keeping post-it notes in his wallet. I've just always been a list guy. And it's I'm a little old school in the sense that I learn by writing on on paper with my pen. It's always the way I've studied, make lists. You know, if I have a big test to study for, a big presentation, it's a big list, dwindle down to a medium one, dwindle down to a small one, to a micro one. And that's how I memorize things. That's how I get familiar with information. So you had a client meeting at 10 a.m. on this day. You get to the office at 8 a.m., though. Can you set the scene, what the office looks like? Yeah, the uh, law firm at 8 a.m. is very empty. And this meeting, I, I came in uh, specifically early. An associate was helping me out, preparing some papers. This was the final meeting before a client's deposition. So this deposition specifically, this was a discrimination claim. Someone was saying that all the women in the office were treated differently than all the men. And my client says, no, that wasn't the case. If this woman suing, for example, was paid differently or treated differently, quote unquote, and she means pay or, or having a bad shift or being assigned to a, to a bad matter within the organization, it's mainly because she was less experienced. And that was my, what my client was trying to say. You're comparing her to this guy or that guy or another gentleman, but those people have seven more years experience than her. They worked on that client before. They were trying to paint it in a different picture. So the client was being deposed two days later. We already had two meetings, uh, sort of preparing, I would say preparing light, right? It wasn't really intense, but this was the meeting where we were gonna go over my client's position, make sure he understands what he's gonna say, make sure, make sure he understands the rules and procedure of, of the questioning that's gonna happen in that room. And it was a little bit of a sort of dress rehearsal, testing him as to what he would say when he was presented with document A or document B. So it was, a it was also a, a dress rehearsal for me too when I'm deposing the adversary. And again, we deal with a lot of claims, but you know, every, every client has a different personality. Some are very mad that they're in there. Some feel it's very unfair. Some think it's fun. They want to get this over. They think this is their quote unquote day in court. They're finally going to get to say their piece. But you know, you have to, your client hired you for a reason, meaning, meaning me. And they, they're looking to you, an intelligent client is, and a reasonable client is, and looking to you for guidance. So sometimes, even though they want to blurt out everything about the case and why this is so unfair, it may not be a good idea. You know, I always tell clients that no case has really ever been won, you know, when you're being deposed. You can only lose it here. So be careful as to what you say. And this deposition specifically, my client had, had a very difficult time understanding that it was okay to think about the question, wait, and then answer before he speaks. Really think about his answer. Because I told him, you know, after a deposition, this is put on paper by the court reporter that's recording all your words. And it's not going to say that Mr. Smith waited 65 seconds to answer the question and somehow that's an admission of guilt right mm. he didn't remember or he's trying to lie it's just going to say question and answer so it's really really important that you think about what you say before you do so the client meeting happens and that brings us to noon which shows how much time it can take to prepare a client but that doesn't mean that's the only thing on his to-do list for the day elon told us 80 percent of his days are generally spent in litigation and the other 20 percent counseling on human resources issues that come up for his clients like this one for instance how to manage the business how to deal with employees directly on whether to take medical leave or a pregnant woman who needs an accommodation within the business. 
you know, what's reasonable, what's unreasonable. If, if someone in a wheelchair, for example, needs to sit closer to the elevator, that's something, or they're injured, right? They, they, they broke both legs, they're in a wheelchair now. Is it reasonable to put them on the fourth floor where there's no access to the elevator? Or can you put them on the first floor closer to their car, closer to the kitchen? Those are issues you know we can talk through with the clients. And if you really think about what I said for for a second, it's it's not so much legal. It's more common sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, le- legal certainly comes into play, and you always have to have that in mind. But it's a lot of it is from just a cultural, being a nice business, having a a nice place to work sort of perspective. So you know, a lot of what I do is is not brain surgery. It's mm-hmm. not rocket science. It's Thinking about a situation logically and and placing down the documents or laying down the framework of what should be done. And most of the time, if you do things in that manner, legally, the effect will be okay and you'll be safe. Working through issues like that can come up daily on top of working on litigation for cases. Those cases are set one to two years out. So that's why he has to consult with his calendar and prepare accordingly. Being a litigator and this is good for for law students wanting to go into litigation or a college student thinking about it, litigation is dealing with matters that are in court or that are filed with the Department of Labor, sort of ongoing filed matters. A complaint's been filed. A charge has been filed. And once that happens, depending where you are, there's a schedule set by a judge or some high-level tribunal as to what's going to happen in the future. So most of my practice, most of my litigations handled are in federal court. I'd say the vast majority. Just by the claims that are being handled, they're federal claims. So federal court moves a little quicker than state court, for example. If a case was filed on Monday and my client answers it and we go to court in the next six weeks, the judge may set a schedule to do depositions, to exchange documents, to ask the other side questions that has to be done in the next six months. After that, we go back to the drawing board and the trial date may be set out for two years. Again, in state court, it may be four or five. So you have, a, you have stuff on your calendar and they're big to-dos. You know, it's not, not always a meeting or a phone call. It's a summary judgment motion is due on such and such date. And to get the documents you need to repair that motion, it's hours and hours and hours of work. So a summary judgment motion is it's telling the court, I win. It's all in the papers, by the way. You know, it's all in written form with evidence attached to it and it's telling the judge, I win on all the claims because of X, Y, Z, and here's all the proof. So it's sort of like a trial on the papers. It's an effective tool for either side, the plaintiff or defendant, to end the case before it gets to the actual trial. There's no point to go to trial in a couple months because here's the case right here and it's, it's easy to see that there is nothing. So while he starts the beginning of his day mapping out what he needs to do and when he should do them, it's hard for him to stick to a set daily schedule because things could pop up out of the blue that could need his attention and in a timely manner. He's gotten skilled at prioritizing his work with the double computer screens in play. I always have my email on my left screen just open all day, but if you're answering emails constantly throughout the day, I can't get done the big motion I have to do. Again, I'm a litigator, so I have big 25-page papers with hundreds and hundreds of citations of them at all times. That takes a lot of attention to detail. You need to cite to every legal argument, every factual argument you're making. You know, if, so, if Mr. Smith said something on such and such day, you're going to need to point the deposition testimony where he said that and where he proves it or the document that shows that. Being a litigator, you can't just say things. You have to have a lot of proof. And doing that work 
uh, again, calls for a lot of attention and detail and making sure you can support what you're saying. So if I'm breaking work up with emails all day, I find that it takes my focus away. But at the same time, my clients hire me and hire my practice group because they have emergencies within their business every day and they need their lawyer on call. If you can't provide that comfort, I'm not giving value to my client and that's not what I want to be. So I, I really try to pride myself on always being there for the client. And at the same time, you know, I try to teach my, my younger associates, you don't always need to know the answer off the top of your head. If a client calls you with a question, what do I do here? What do I do here? It's perfectly fine to say, let me think about it. Let me digest it and get back to you right away. Because lawyers, a client may not agree with me, but lawyers are not paid or hired to memorize the law. There's too many out there. And if we're spitting stuff off the top of our head or just going with our gut feeling, we're not being a good advisor. Rather, you got to look at all the facts. You have to, a lot of the times, revisit the law, reread the statute, reread the regulation, and then apply it to the situation the best way you can. If I'm firing off email replies to my clients that are asking me questions without really thinking about the situation specifically, because every situation is different, uh, I'm doing a disservice to them. So let's talk about how, talk through how you research your whole process there on how you research to defend a client. Sure. So legal research is its own thing. So we have, you know, in this country, our system of law is based on citing to, to a, a legal statute or legal regulation, but also looking to past cases. What happened in other similar cases with similar facts? And how do those turn out? That's how you prove your case. So whether it's pointing to federal law or New York cases, just looking at, at past examples. That's what I have to do if, if I'm writing a legal memorandum or going to court and a judge is going to ask me, well, you're citing to this case. What, what happened in that case? How is it different from the one we're talking about today? And distinguishing it, pointing to similarities and, and, and trying to prove your case that way. Research in, in another sense is just being up on the lawn in my experience reading the newspaper, going to seminars of people in my field. You know, there are always new things coming out in the law. People will always be working, right? They'll always, they'll always have companies, they'll always have employees. And new issues come up from time to time and they change from, from time to time. So for example, like I said before, I represent a lot of hospitality establishments here in New York. They're facing a lot of pay claims. That's really hot right now. It's been hot for 10 years. Discrimination on the other hand, went away for a little while. You know, you saw it 15 years ago, 10 years ago, a little more. A lot of cases were being filed. Big judgments were being had. Again, other things sort of filled the void. And then a couple of years ago, the Me Too movement exploded. And now the discrimination cases are back. And I, I probably have just as many as I have of other types of cases these days. So whatever employees are aware about, whatever they're feeling, that's going to be the new area that I have to focus in. You know, the, the internet's still here. There are new ways we're using it. People are attached to their phones. Privacy is probably the next frontier in, in labor and employment law. Can a business look into your Facebook, look into your personal email if you're accessing it on their work computers? Keeping up with things like that. Elon is big on networking. Constantly meeting people keeps him with a steady flow of clients. So on this particular day at noon, he was on a call with an HR consultant based out of Pennsylvania who he was introduced to through a friend. You also learn at a cocktail party or a networking event who you should speak to and who you should not speak to. And if you get caught in a conversation with someone who you know you can't help, 
and can't help your business, it's okay to walk away. And I was on the phone with this stranger for 40 minutes because when we were speaking, I heard a lot of things, synergies you mentioned. I heard a lot of things she was saying as the client she represents and the things she does that I can potentially compliment. I just thought she was a very nice person that sounded very professional. If she wasn't, I would have ended the call much sooner. Again, we've never met. It was someone I know in my network that says, you should meet this person. They're great. They give a lot of referrals. They're very knowledgeable. And I ran with that. And again, we set up a meeting for the next time she's going to be in New York. And we'll see what, what I can get from that. But I see the potential just by, it was just a feeling thing. I'm willing to take the shot, have another lunch, have another cup of coffee, see if we can take it to the next level. And keeping these people around. And it's so important to just you know, touch people, send an email, happy new year, Merry Christmas, whatever it is, let them know you're there. Let them know that you're writing an article. Let them know that you're giving a speech, not always selling people. You know, you want to, you want to provide people with information, you know, give people value. If you're always selling, no one wants to talk to you. No one wants to be your friend. But if someone likes to talk to me about Michigan football or music or what's going on in the news, and we can chat about that and have a good time and just like each other, the business will come after that. Now it's 1230 and it's time for lunch, his favorite part of the day. He doesn't like to eat lunch at his desk because he's usually out eating with someone in his network or a family member. On this particular day, it was with an accountant that he hadn't caught up with in years. You know, someone told me also, never eat lunch alone. And I, I think it's a good it's a good lesson to follow. You're just filling in a part of the day that's free anyway with learning about potential opportunities. After lunch, Elon is back to work tackling work for another client who was accused of a gratuity-type violation. Elon wrote an article about it in Food Source magazine. If you want to check it out, head over to the show notes page at exadiddle.com. Keep in mind, he's working on about 30 matters consistently right now, trying to get ahead of the curve and make sure his clients are legally protected. But that doesn't mean he works on every matter alone. Being at my level, it's really important to divvy up work to other people or to consult with other people on other issues because you can't do it all. So having a team you can count on rather than just being in you know, your own area. I'm a, I'm a big collaborator. I like getting different perspectives on things. I like asking someone, what are your thoughts? Can I bounce this off you? Working in that kind of team is great because people see things differently. That day specifically, we have a case where I think there may be some exposure, but, you know, it's not worth really litigating the matter right now because everyone's going to lose a lot of money and lose a lot of time. Rather, I had to prove to my adversary, who I have a very good relationship and the other lawyer on the other side, very good relationship and we deal with a lot of cases that I want it to be very clear. Look, my client doesn't have the money you're looking for with this outrageous settlement. It's not worth litigating it because even if you win and get a $5 million judgment at trial, you're going to be left with a piece of paper that doesn't mean anything because my client's not going to have that $5 million to pay you. They don't have the cars you think they do. They don't have the artwork they think that you, you do. They don't have the apartment you think they do. So let's be real. If there's some exposure, let's talk about a compromise and get you paid on a small portion of that. You're asking for the world. My client doesn't have the world. So I was trying to present a financial situation. And I'm not a financial person, but it was a very sort of elementary presentation. This is what my clients have. This is their tax returns. These are their bank statements. You know, if you want millions and millions of dollars, this is not who you should be spending your time doing. So it's more of a courtesy type thing. So one thing we're discussing now with a lot of potential clients is arbitration. If there is a problem an employee is having with their employer, 
They're agreeing beforehand not to take the case to court. They're going to a different forum. They're going to a private arbitration to settle it. So the arbitration is usually overseen by an ex-judge or another lawyer in the field that can that can get in there, that could hear the problem and issue a decision on it. It is a binding decision just like court, but it takes it out of the public eye. Remember, a lawsuit is public. It stays there forever. It's online. You can Google it. It comes right up. Arbitration prevents that from happening. And in the restaurant context specifically, the biggest danger is a lot of these cases grow into class action lawsuits. It happened to one person. Therefore, we can send a notice out to everyone else that worked there in the last three to six years and grow it from one or two people to 50 or 100. And once that happens, the business is bankrupt, right? Because liability is, is crazy with one person, let alone 100. So what arbitration does is it prevents that person that's suing from being a class representative, from, from suing on behalf of other people. If they have a problem and they want it adjudicated, they want relief, they're going to have to do it individually. You know, a lot, and a lot of the things that I'm saying are coming from the perspective of a defense attorney, right? That I'm not pro-employee, I'm not for the people, but it's actually not my personality at all. I represented employees for the first part of my career, but I, I see it both ways. You know, I see employees having problems, I see liability on behalf of my clients, and there are sad situations that people deserve compensation for. But at the same time, there are a lot of people taking advantage of the system. And in this country, you don't need proof to bring a lawsuit. Sometimes you don't even need to send a letter. You just file it right away and there are salacious allegations that are out there for everyone to see, no matter if you did it or not. And it stays there forever and it's, it's a sad thing. So you know, I always like to tell my clients, you don't want to get to that situation. And if you come to me with a problem that an employee is having that brought to your attention, 99% of the time I'm confident we could handle it eternally talk about the issue, listen listen to that person. A lot of times these employees that are bringing action, they just want to be listened to. They, they feel like their complaints are going on deaf ears. So if we handle it, we don't ignore, we can likely resolve it. So just bring the problem to me. You have a labor and employment attorney. Don't handle it within. You have experienced professionals, executives, HR people, but let's all talk about it together. Let's all get the perspective. Let's get the facts down and tell me the truth, right? We have attorney-client confidentiality privileges. Be straight with me. If you're not straight with me, I can't handle the situation. I can't give you my advice. Now it's 3 p.m. and Elon is on a call with a new client with a business formation question. That's not his specialty. So he kindly referred him out to one of his corporate partners who can help the client out better. In two weeks, they're coming in for a meeting once all that paperwork is done. And we're talking about how to set up their business from a labor and employment perspective. Again, what documents they need, what policies they want to draft. I want to customize them to what they like and what they want to do going forward. Employee handbooks, arbitration agreements like we discussed. How can we protect the business? How do you want to present your business culture to your employees? People have different ways of operating their business and they want to give a different sort of uh, – they want to paint a different picture for the public and their employees about what the business is about. So when I'm meeting a new client that's forming a new business specifically or rebranding or going in a different direction, that's a long conversation we need to have. I don't like to be – reactionary. I like to be ahead of the curve, know what's coming, know what's out there. And again, whether it's a current client or someone I'm meeting, let them know, hey, are you doing XYZ? This is a huge issue. If you never heard about it, let's talk about it. If you have heard about it, you will probably be next if you don't take this seriously. Do you have one piece of paper? Do you have this one specific paragraph that says this? And if you don't, it's tons and tons of liability down the road, potentially. And if someone doesn't want to listen to you, that's fine. 
you know, if you told them five years ago, they'll probably come back to you and say you were really smart. How do we address this? For the rest of the day until 9 p.m., Elon is working on chipping away at his lists of deadlines for his clients. He's usually out by 8 p.m., but had a mediation statement due to the judge by 4 p.m. that Friday that needed a lot of work. Some of the tasks in this 3.30 to 9 p.m. window include... If I'm not addressing my cases, forget the ones that deadline, maybe the ones that, that have been threatened, a lawsuit's been threatened, but only letters have been sent. If I'm not giving the other attorney the time of day or giving the documents that I promised him to give or giving her the position I said I was going to explain why something happened, they're going to go ahead and file their lawsuit. And my client's going to say, wait a second, I thought you were trying to negotiate a settlement before this becomes public. Why are you sleeping on it? A lot of it also is touching my clients, letting them know what's happening in their case. I mean, I have a lot of cases, but that's no excuse. You know, Matt, if you your business was being sued, for example, and you hired me to handle it, if I'm not following up with you, you're not going to be a very happy camper, right? You're going to, because you think, and understandably so, that you're my only client and your case is more important than any others. And I have to, I have to deliver in that way. I have to make clients feel comfortable because, you know, if they're reaching out to me and asking me what's going on, I'm not doing the right thing. So a lot of it is client management and, and being you know, a higher level attorney is, and having client contact. And I've been lucky to have that, whether they're my own clients or you know, another partner in the firm has brought in, I have to be on top of that and making sure they have the news, they know what's coming up, they know what they need to give me or, or, or what's happening in the case. And a lot of times it's a three-minute phone call or a three-minute email to write. And it just goes a long way. And it's the same thing with networking, right? How hard is it to say, congratulations on your new baby? It takes five seconds to write that email. But if you're not doing that kind of stuff, you know, I, I think you're just getting lost in the weeds. So what's a mediation statement and what type of work did it need? So we discussed arbitration before. That's like a private way to adjudicate your issue out of court. Mediation is a little different because arbitration, when there's a decision by the arbitrator, it's binding. Just like if a judge bangs his or her gavel and there's a decision. Mediation is voluntary and it's non-binding. So let's say both of you have a dispute whatever it is, could be employment, could be a commercial dispute, you go to mediation. Mediation, you guys are there because you want to resolve it without further court costs. And an attorney who is experienced in the field meets with you both, hears both of your, your stories, shovels from one room to another, and tries to get you guys to go to a resolution. So this judge was very willing to send us to another one of her colleagues, another judge that would we need to submit a statement to, you know, a five-page letter explaining our position. The other court, the other side would do the same thing. Both of those are confidential. The judge is the only person that's going to read them. And we're going to court next week to try to mediate the thing. So would you rather a case go through mediation or do you have like a preference? Mediation only works if the two sides are willing to tango, right? Mm -hmm. If someone is steadfast in their position and and the plaintiff's lawyer is saying, you know, we want $1.2 million. We're not going to take a cent less. And my client's offering $10,000. It's probably not worth going. And me preparing for the mediation, being there for seven or eight hours and, and trying to get a resolution done if they're not willing to negotiate. I'm a huge fan of it because I like to resolve cases early. Again, I'm a defense lawyer. Defense costs are outrageously expensive. A lot of my clients don't have the money hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars to defend these things all the way to trial. 
Because even if you win a trial and you spent $400,000 to get there, you've already lost, right? <laughs> so who cares if the judge says you win? Some people, but again, that's a client, this is a client decision. If they want to fight this on principle, they want to vindicate their rights, they want to get a decision that says I win at the end of the day and they don't care the amount of money it takes to get there, I'm with you, client. I'm willing to go all the way. But it's also my job to say, you may lose on one or two points within this action. And if you lose, you will be responsible for all the plaintiff's attorney's fees too. So why even go that route? So you just experienced a day in the life of a labor and employment attorney, but how does one actually become an attorney in such a specialized field? In part two of the Laws of Labor series, join us as we go through Elon Weiser's career journey and experiences leading up to where he is today. Elon was interested in so many things in undergrad and really didn't know where to focus, but he hit the ground running in law school, tapping into his network to get career opportunities. He even went as far as moving to a whole new country for one of those opportunities. Learn how he did it so you can too. Stay tuned. At Experience a Day in the Life, we're building an online library of content all focused on a diddle or a day in the life of different jobs and professions across the world in all different industries. So if you want to share your a diddle, you can do so at xadiddle.com slash share dash my dash a diddle. That's x-a-d-i-t-l dot com slash share dash my dash a-d-i-t-l. Thanks for listening. Head over to exadiddle.com. That's X-A-D-I-T-L.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at Xadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Poe and Matt with one T Poe. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.